Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy Monday, everybody. And you probably know this, that October is the Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And with that in mind, my guest today is Eva Myers, and she is an oncology nurse practitioner and credentialed staff member at Adventist, oh, I can't say that, Adventist, why do I do that, Health Memorial Hospital. She also works at the Cecilia Gonzalez de la Hoyas Cancer Center located at Memorial Hospital. Welcome to the show, Eva. Thank you, thank you. I am so honored to be here and to share this important information with your audience today. Mm-hmm. Me too, me too. So you have a lot of initials and titles beyond your name. And I thought it would be interesting for you to share with our listeners about your extensive um, educational background, if you wouldn't mind. Yes, thank you. I can break it down. It's really pretty simple. I'm a registered nurse that went on to get a master's degree in nursing as a nurse practitioner. I am board certified as a family nurse practitioner, and that's my clinical license. And then I went on to um, increase my education and get a PhD in nursing to help lead the profession and to um, do some clinical research as opportunity uh, presents itself. But basically, I'm an advanced practice registered nurse known as a nurse practitioner. My specialty is oncology and particularly breast cancer. Wow. Well, I think what you do is so very important. And I'm, I think the timeliness of our show today is also very important. Um, where is White Memorial Hospital actually located? Good question. We're in East Los Angeles. Across the river on the east side, right off of Cesar Chavez Boulevard, oh. we just celebrated our 100-year anniversary um, of being in the community. Wow. How long have you been there? I've been here going on eight years. I've been in breast oh. health at other hospitals in Los Angeles County, but here at Adventist Health White Memorial for eight years. Terrific. I, I, I don't know that everybody knows what a nurse practitioner's responsibilities are as far as what it, you're really a doctor, but I, I <laughs> thought it would be great for you to, I mean, that's how I see you. Um, because, you know, you oftentimes you are that liaison between the, your personal family physician and the patient. It's like, I'll just talk to the NP. So what are your responsibilities as a nurse practitioner for those that don't know? Yes. Okay. Here in the cancer center, my role is, largely to provide leadership to our breast cancer screening, diagnostic, and treatment program. We are a provider under the State of California Public Health Program, Every Woman Counts, and that allows us to provide even free screening and diagnostic breast services to eligible women um, and to case manage and navigate through the entire treatment um, continuum. 
So we get them ready. We're able to um, uh, be the upfront person to get them ready to see the doctor for those that would need to go on to breast cancer treatment. So the main uh, specialty doctors would be like the surgeon and the medical oncologist and the radiation therapist, but um, the more information we can give them so that the, the, the patient is ready to begin treatment when they see those doctors, then it's easier just for everyone and makes the process go so much smoother. So um, we are usually there to, to guide the women and navigate the women through the initial symptoms or the screening throughout the cancer continuum. And then after the active treatment is finished, to pick them up again at the end to continue with them walking through survivorship, cancer survivorship care, which is also a, a huge field these days as more and more people are um, actively living longer lives and being cancer survivors when they complete the process. Oh, and that, boy, I, I had, we, you and I have spoke about this, but this is, I don't think honestly that there's probably anyone that isn't, that is listening to our show today that doesn't even has either experienced breast cancer themselves or has had a family member that has mm-hmm. experienced breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is it is so prevalent. And I know for myself personally, uh, 40 years ago, my mother, who was just short of her 62nd birthday, um, died of breast cancer that mm. metastasized. Mm. And obviously things have changed dramatically since mm-hmm. then. There's, there's no doubt about that. Did I say forty years ago? It was thirty years ago, but mm-hmm. the, but the thing that the, the thing that I think is is so important and why I'm so I feel so privileged to have you joining us today is that there have been a lot of changes and there are things that are happening now in in early detection and things like that. But I think that I the people that know about um, this month can't know about this month and not be familiar with the name of Susan G. Komen. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I had some folks from Susan G. Komen on my show a few weeks ago. But mm-hmm. earlier this year, Susan G. Komen funded a cancer support community grant for the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, what, can you tell me about what that what that's provided, how, how that's helped you? Yes. Um, the psychosocial journey is equally important to the medical journey when uh, when a new diagnosis of breast cancer is made. And so the um, cancer support community is able to provide a, a support group for women going through breast cancer treatment. They actually meet in, in Spanish specific to our East LA population here. All ethnicities are welcome. And the group is multicultural, but the focus is in Spanish language to um, to provide support services for women women going through this journey. And it can be very confusing. Uh, sometimes it's just so helpful to be able to talk with other women. What happened to you when you had surgery? What happened to you when you had chemotherapy? Just to encourage and support each other through this process, which sometimes can be very confusing. So the hospital partners with um, Los Angeles Wellness Community to provide um, certified licensed facilitators to lead the group, and it's just a really um, benefit to each available free to each of the patients here in our cancer center. You know what I'd be curious to know because cancer doesn't just affect the patient. Mm-hmm. We know that cancer affects all of us. 
Mm-hmm. So in this particular support group, is there ever opportunities for that husband, daughter, mm-hmm. son? Mm-hmm. Do they ever do they ever get to go to those, or is this? No, no, yeah, that's exactly right. And the whole family is welcome. The family or the caregiver is welcome. We have a lot of uh, daughters or sisters that come with the members Mm -hmm. um, to accompany them to their physician appointments and just to have two sets of ears to hear the instructions and to be able to talk about it later and then also to come to the support group. So, no, family members are very welcome. And um, you're absolutely right. It's it's so difficult to go through this in isolation. The more caregivers and family support system you have around, the the easier the process is. The good news with breast with most breast cancers is that we have excellent treatments. We can tell people up front. You know, if you go through these steps, one, two, three, four, in the next ten months, you know, we can pretty much guarantee that you'll live a normal lifespan. That we're at at a at an early stage breast cancer, we're talking about treating for cure, and the treatments really do work. The um, more challenging cases is when it's already a stage four. By the time we diagnose and begin treatment, then the outcomes are not always as positive, but we still have that support system there to to come alongside the patient, whatever it takes to uh, to get through this. Yes. I love what you said because I've used those exact words when I've spoke with friends and applied to myself, which is it's really helpful to have another set of ears mm-hmm. because the anxiety meter is up mm-hmm. and you're, you're the patient and you're listening and you're the daughter or the husband mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the son and mm-hmm. your, your position is almost as an advocate I'm listening Mm -hmm. to all that you're saying, doctor, about my mom, but Mm -hmm. I'm also writing this down because what if I didn't, what if she didn't hear this correctly? Or frankly, Mm -hmm. I've just written something down that I'm not clear about, hands up in the air. Did I understand you to say? Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 whole, plus the fact you mentioned the word isolation, nothing is worse than being ill in isolation. Mm -hmm. And if, Mm -hmm. if a woman finds herself in a situation where she doesn't have family around her for a variety of reasons. They don't live here. They mm-hmm. live in another city or another state. Mm-hmm. But yes. now you are in a band of sisters that mm-hmm. are all experiencing the same things. Maybe you do pick up another family along the way. It's like I'm sitting, I'm, I'm Gloria, and I'm sitting next to Inez, and Inez's family has now invited me to her house. So it, you know, That's I so beautiful to see those connections. I bet that is beautiful to see that connection. Yes, and it's and amazing I, how some some of them, some of the ladies will call each other outside of group. Some of them will will carpool with each other, or to have um, uh, little potlucks or share food around special occasions in the group, because it's so important to make those connections and to create family in a time like this. And normalize, right? Yes. You 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 want to normalize whatever your what we would call our new normal, whatever mm-hmm. that might look like. Mm-hmm. But to know it's one thing for me to observe my mother and to watch her go through this um, mm-hmm. because she had it, then it went away, then it came back. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be the daughter watching it. I don't know what it feels like to have mm-hmm. my belly belly full of fluid that has to be tapped. Mm-hmm. I know what it looks like to observe you. Mm-hmm. I know what it was like to go to the doctor with you, mm-hmm. but 
you know, at you, 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 so to have that kind of support, I, you just, you just can't, there's just, you can't put enough emphasis on the value of that on so many levels. It, it, mm-hmm. I think it's just wonderful. And, and the fact that there's no charge, mm-hmm. you know, that's the other thing, just navigating, oh my mm-hmm. God, just navigating insurance mm-hmm. and who pays mm-hmm. for what, and oh my goodness, that that's a lot. But mm-hmm. in, in thinking about your relationship um, with, with the Coleman Foundation, have there been other grants that they have also um, provided you with that have helped you or make the outreach? Yes, we've been so grateful. I've been so grateful to the Coleman Foundation ever since they've had a Los Angeles County chapter, and I've been a part of it all, almost since the beginning here in Los Angeles County. Um, they work so hard to raise the funds and to keep uh, as many of the funds as possible here in the local area. Over the years, um, they funded multiple um, projects from uh, Image Center and additional things to help the women feel beautiful as they're going through the treatment. Um, Most recently, also, the um, public health program, Every Woman Counts, used to you had to be 40 years old before you could enroll someone into the public health program. Well, what about all these women that are in their 30s that present with a breast lump, and we still have to find out if it's cancer or not. They still need a way to pay for their ultrasound or for their biopsy to make sure to to determine if it's cancer or not. And in the past, the public health program would not cover that. So Coleman would fill in the gap and um, be able to provide us funding for women under 40 that were not eligible for Every Woman Counts. Um, Fortunately, the governor of California did sign into law in January 2017, expanding the public health program Every Woman Counts to now include women under 40 with symptoms. So since that gap is filled now, Coleman uh, has channeled their funds into other resources, pretty much things like support services and um, and 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 navigation services for women going through this process. Oh, I think that's tremendous. Um, I know you must. You've been you've been there at this hospital for eight years, but I know you've been in the field for many years, and I'm sure there yes. are lots and lots of stories that you could share. I mean, I've just shared mine, mm-hmm. um, but I thought we could talk about a couple of stories you've mentioned based on the location that your primary um, patients are Spanish-speaking women. Mm -hmm. And several years ago, I understand that there was a 20-year-old Latina woman that felt a lump in her breast, Mm -hmm. and she couldn't afford a needle biopsy. So what did the the hospital do for her? Was that when those Coleman funds came in? Yes, it it would be an occasion like that, as long as she gets here to our clinic. We have the Coleman funds in in the past. We also actually get some grant funds through the National Breast Cancer Foundation, which we're so grateful for. And um, our hospital foundation also raises money for special projects as well to fill in the gaps. But it's so rewarding for me to be able to say, I can help you. Um, even though you have no insurance, even though you're scared and anxious about what this breast lump is, I can help you. We have everything here on our campus to find out exactly what this is. Is it a lump or is it not? A, is, it a, is it a cancer that needs treatment or it's something benign that does not need treatment? So usually with a 20-year-old, we would start out with an ultrasound. The ultrasound gives us more detailed information than a mammogram probably in most cases for a 20-year-old. 
and then the ultrasound will be able to confirm, you know, is it full of water like a cyst inside the lump or is it solid and even which would make it uh, somewhat more suspicious and then they can also the ultrasound can even um, highlight any blood vessels running through the lump which would make it even more suspicious for a possible malignancy or not and then uh, if it's still indeterminate usually a needle biopsy would be the next step and we have all the resources here at on the campus here at Adventist Health White Memorial to help the woman navigate through each one of those steps I think the lady you're referring to, she even was able to fit all of that in pretty much on the same day or within 24 oh. hours, um, schedule the biopsy as well. And and, and, if, and and in her case, it ended up not being cancer. It was a benign mm. fibroadenoma. So, of course, that had a very happy outcome as well. Um, and there was no disease spreading through her body, and she was so pleased and happy with, with that outcome. But whatever the outcome is, we uh, do our best to help you navigate the system to educate you on what decisions you have to make as the patient as you meet with your doctors and your treatment team um, along with your family members and support system so that um, we can we can move uh, smoothly through each step and, and, and have the best outcome possible. It's so interesting. As I'm listening to you, just describe this whole scenario right there. I have mm-hmm. been through that entire mm-hmm. scenario myself, the mm-hmm. entire, and knowing the difference between, you know, the, the, the glossary of terms in any field, whether you're in insurance or you are, you know, you're writing a book or whatever you might do, there's a glossary mm-hmm. within your industry that means certain things to people. And Correct. just the word cis. I didn't really understand what a cyst meant. I didn't know that a cyst was something that was fluid. I know that now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's, it's really... It, Particularly in the breast. Through... Particularly in the breast, a cyst is usually yes. considered benign as long as that's documented clearly with an ultrasound or a, a biopsy if necessary. If it's a cyst and you put a needle into that lesion, you should be able to pull out the fluid and it collapses like a yes. balloon and, and it disappears. So again, in most cases, that is not, that's, diff, that's a different process than a cancer and in most cases does not require additional treatment. Right. Let's talk about another woman, another woman that you had last year that had a much different scenario. Mm-hmm. She was pregnant mm-hmm. and she was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer. Her name is Paola. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would you mind sharing that story with us? I'd be interested in hearing what her story is about. Yes, she's a trooper for sure. The uh, She came to me after, of course, going to multiple different clinics, and it was being pregnant, there's so many changes in your breast tissue anyway, and so it was more advanced by the time she finally got to someone who took her seriously and was willing to biopsy this and find out exactly what it was. I think she was even maybe back and forth. It's amazing to me how many women go back and forth to Tijuana clinics even for the cost-effective part of health care. And, and when they come to me with a report from outside the country, I think in her case the report says atypical cells. Well, as soon as I examined her, um, it was clear, easily to, easy to see that the, that the clinical presentation um, was suspicious for something more than just atypical cells. We were able to um, to do the entire process here, 
um, at White Memorial, the ultrasound and the mammogram and the biopsy. And then um, as we started the, the treatment process, I know she even went went down the street to so we got here at White Memorial we got our gynecology team on board to treat the baby and 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 had her change her care here to to the doctors so that they could work closely with the oncology specialist doctors. I think I know she did have a have a, um, a second opinion at some other local hospitals that specialized in cancer only. So they they promised her they could treat the cancer, but they were not experts or did not have capacity to to deal with the gynecology uh, part because that was not their focus. So she came back to White Memorial and we put all of our heads together. We presented her case at a tumor board setting, with which is a multidisciplinary meeting of the physicians. And the gynecology doctors were there, the medical oncology, the surgeons, the radiation oncology doctors were all reviewing her case together in a tumor board setting. I think she actually, um, since it was third trimester, she, she did begin one or two treatments of chemotherapy before the baby was born. The baby was born healthy uh, and successfully here at, at White Memorial, and then she was able to continue her chemotherapy treatments after that. So um, she's, a, she's, a, she's a survivor. She has worked so hard um, for her family and to have the best outcomes possible she went ahead and finished the entire cycle of treatment, and we continue to support her through the um, survivorship process. But that's very scary when we're talking about, well, I mean, we, we, we kind of find out that the same hormones that, con- that control pregnancy and menstruation in women sometimes feed, many times feed these cancers and make them grow more faster and aggressive. And then that certainly was her case. Um, and so it was just... Uh, so so we helped her through each step of the process, and the goal is to have as, as best outcomes as possible. But, yes, she's a, she's a survivor to be able to, to go through all this as a, as a mother now and raising her family um, as, a, as a cancer survivor. That's, that's a wonderful success story, and those must really fill your heart with joy to know that 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 you were a part of making that mm-hmm. success happen. I mean that's that's a beautiful thing. It is that's, a beautiful thing. My um my youngest yeah. cancer patient, just one more quick story, is twenty one years old sure. and you don't get breast cancer at twenty one years old. You just don't. And um mm-hmm. that's a very rare situation. And then it come to find out um as we uh, she was also found to be genetic positive and that's also what made her breast cancer to be more aggressive. And so she was born with a gene mutation. Maybe we'll get into that. But she was born with a gene mutation um, that ran in her family, of course, at no fault of her own, and then just showed up as a 21-year-old with full-blown breast cancer. So, again, the challenges of putting together all those pieces um, really makes a difference for women to be aware of, of their risk factors. And on occasion, there's many opportunities to reduce those risk factors with, with knowledge. You bet. And, you know, you, you, you've led me into something that I'm really interested in knowing about when you talked about uh, genetics because mm-hmm. you don't you I, I I say this and I and it sounds sort of silly but but it's really very true you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. sometimes you don't even know what questions to ask mm-hmm. so that you can get the information that you don't know about mm-hmm. uh, and so let's let's spend some time really educating me and my audience about 
uh, the genetic testing today and, mm-hmm. and the BRCA, BRCA genes um, mm-hmm. and, and some of those things. Because, honestly, if you were to ask me if I could tell you what that is, I wouldn't be able to tell you except that I remember knowing many years ago when it seemed like I first heard this terminology because I'm, I am regularly tested because of my mother. Mm-hmm. And I remember many years ago there was a connection to if you were Jewish, if you were an Ashkenazi mm-hmm. Jew, mm-hmm. there was Correct. some kind of connection. So what I, and that's, and now you've just got the full extent of what it is I know. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. I'm not, I'm not kidding. So let's start at the beginning, and, and, and let's understand what, th- what this is all about. Okay, wonderful. Let me see if I can break it down as easy as possible. Certainly, okay. genetic, t- genetic testing has, has absolutely changed the way we uh, treat and deal with breast cancer. Um, the families most likely, so, so out of all the people that get breast cancer, less than 10%, of that whole circle of women carry these gene mutations. So, so it's caused by other things also. Um, in other words, um, you know, I get asked all the time, what causes these normal cells in my breast tissue to change and become cancer cells? And that's the question I cannot answer. Um, there is a familiar risk for if you have multiple people in your family with breast cancer, but that's still very different than a genetic risk. A genetic risk means I was born with a gene mutation that now the science has allowed to be identified as a high risk for me getting a breast cancer. And what makes this significant is um, there's a panel of genes that we currently test um, specific to different cancer sites. The BRCA1 and the BRCA2 are the highest risk genes, although there are other ones with, with moderate risks. But the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 is, is leading us then into what, we, what the gold standard is. We, we know BRCA1 and BRCA2 as the Angelina Jolie case. And what that means is she grew up with breast cancer. She, she, her multiple generations in her family had breast cancer. And then when she herself was tested and found out that she had a gene mutation that gives her 87% chance of getting breast cancer before age 70, now the science and the medical care has allowed her to intervene and to reduce her risks, where in the past that wasn't always possible. So um, a woman now that, that, uh, that carries the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene has an 87% chance of getting breast cancer by the time she's 70 years old. And sometimes we're talking about gene- uh, aggressive and fast-growing cancers. So what one in seven women, one in eight women get breast cancer in the average population. But for those women that carry the gene mutation, we're talking about an 87% chance risk. So now what makes women eligible for testing? It's the, the red flags that your family might carry this gene are three things. Number one, it's multiple cancers in your family of, of breast cancer. Then you should be tested. If there's three or more first or second degree relatives, then you're eligible for testing for the BRCA gene. The second issue is young cancers. So any family member that was diagnosed with a breast cancer under the age of 50, first, second degree relatives makes you eligible for genetic testing. So my grandmother had breast cancer at 45. I should be tested to see if there's any chance this gene could be in my family. 
my mother or my sister had breast cancer at 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 42, at 48, again, I should be tested just to see if this gene mutation could run in my family. And then the third uh, thing that makes you eligible for testing are rare cancers. So a rare cancer would be like a man in your family with breast cancer. I mean, less than 1% of men get breast cancer, but that would be a red flag that possibly this cancer this gene mutation could be in my family. Another rare cancer is ovary cancer, is considered a rare cancer. So uh, an ovary cancer at any age in a first or second degree relative makes me eligible for uh, testing to see if my family lineage could carry this gene mutation. Another example of rare cancers would be like a second breast cancer. So um, that would, that, for instance, one of my ladies had a stage one breast cancer. She had a total mastectomy. She treated for a cure. She thought she was done with this forever. And sure enough, exactly five years, almost to the date, came back with a brand new second cancer in the opposite breast. All of a sudden, it's wow, wow, this is a red flag now for possibly carrying a gene mutation. So a second cancer in the same woman is a red flag for for carrying this gene. So sure enough, she was tested. And um, she opened the door to, to 11 brothers and sisters whenever she found out that she carried this high-risk BRCA1 gene. So, um, so then she had um, a second mastectomy on the opposite side with reconstruction. She also made the choice that if a BRCA1 gene I, then, then she should not get breast cancer again because the breast tissue has been removed. And as much as possible, the, the milk ducts and the ligaments have been removed, and an implant is, in, is in, inside the skin pocket. And so there's no milk, there's no breast tissue left, so she should not get a reoccurrent breast cancer. She just eliminated her risk from 87% chance to less than 1% chance of getting a breast cancer. Um, in addition, she made the decision after her children, after she was finished having children, to remove her ovaries, and that again took her ovarian cancer risk down to less than one percent. So that's an example of surgical intervention. All the genes that we test for have clinically eligible interventions that are linked to those genes. So if you're found with one of these high-risk genes, then what can I do to reduce my risk? And it pretty much boils down to close surveillance. Do I have, now I'm aware that I have a high risk. Do I want to continue to watch closely, sometimes with additional testing such as breast MRIs? Or do I want to eliminate my risk with surgical intervention? And these days, most all insurances, if you tell them you've been found with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene, they are more than happy to uh, consider, to, to, to honor your decision um, for surgical intervention, which in most cases then would be bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction surgery. So that you, you have no breast tissue left. Um, the, the implants these days, people hug you, squeeze you, they cannot even tell that they're, mm -hmm. that they're not normal breast tissue. You can wear regular clothes and look pretty, uh, but you know in your heart that your risk of breast cancer just went from 87% chance to less than 1% just simply by removing the milk ducts and the ligaments and the normal breast tissue. Again, that only works for women who carry the high-risk gene. There's no benefit and there's no reason to do that for average-risk women. That's a pretty radical decision. 
but it's certainly uh, something that, that most women who are identified with the gene are more than willing to consider. Let me ask you this just so I'm clear, um, because this has been really useful and, and helpful to hear, because, mm-hmm. frankly, you've just made me relax a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't, I don't fit the, those criteria that I mm-hmm. would have genetic testing based so on So you would have a familiar said. risk because a mother with breast cancer, but and that right. might elevate your risk a little bit above the average population mm-hmm. because, you know, maybe you're, you and your mother grew up in the same environment. You breathe the same air. You eat the same food. Maybe you manage stress. Your body manages stress the same way your mother did. For instance, that would be a familiar risk, and it might be a slight elevation above the average population, but that's still very different than a genetic risk. Um, which is 10%. That's still uh, very different than the genetic risk, which is 10% of the uh, population of women who get breast cancer carry those genes. So that's a very different risk, yes. Most definitely. But just so that I understand this, what is the difference, or I don't know, between BRCA1 and BRCA2? Is Is there a difference between the two since there's two different numbers? No, it's just two different genes. So currently, the top of the science right now allows us to test about uh, 35 different genes specific to eight different cancer sites. So we can test things like Lynch syndrome for colon cancer. There's a few genes that are linked to metastatic prostate cancer or gastric cancer, but it's the BRCA1 and 2 that are specific to breast and ovarian cancer. Some of the other genes, for instance, could put you at... At not an 87% chance risk, but it could increase your risk to maybe 60% of breast cancer only on a certain gene that you were born with and, and, and would not impact your risk of ovarian cancer. So uh, each gene is different, but BRCA1 and BRCA2 mm-hmm. are the ones both that both of them, uh, they're two different genes that you're born with that one or the other, if one or the other are found to have a mutation, would increase your risk of breast and ovarian cancer. Breast and ovarian. Well, so let me specific ask you this to BRCA one and BRCA two. Yes. Right. So breast and ovary. So let me ask you this, doctor. As long as now I'm having this personal consultation, my father, my mother passed away, as I mentioned, from breast cancer. My father mm-hmm. passed away from prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Is is that does that mean that I have a higher risk? Obviously, I'm not going to get prostate cancer, but does mm-hmm. that make mm-hmm. my risk a little bit higher because my dad had prostate cancer? So metastatic prostate cancer is one of the new criteria that makes individuals eligible for genetic testing. And what that means is most prostate cancers are slow-growing, watch and wait, not much happens right. five or ten years later in a routine, slow-growing prostate cancer. Some of them are not even treated because your lifespan would, uh, it would not impact your lifespan anyway. There's no benefit to treating a slow-growing routine prostate cancer. Now, that's in contrast then to a metastatic prostate cancer. So if you have a fast-growing aggressive prostate cancer that, and the, the person involved um, is, is under the age of 50 with a fast-growing aggressive prostate cancer, then those are the ones most likely linked to a genetic mutation. 
Got so it. if your well, family you... member died under the age of 50 with an aggressive prostate cancer, then that would not be a slow-growing, long-term, you know, uh, prostate cancer, and and that would be a, a low a low risk of carrying the gene. But if it was an metastatic prostate cancer and they died from prostate cancer at a young age, then there could be a linkage into the the science of of genetic testing. Did that make what, sense? What I it does. Well, what I what I hear is the connection is age both whether it's breast or prostate, we're talking age here where people are young Mm -hmm. and they are metastasizing to other locations, Mm -hmm. which was the case for both of my parents. They Mm -hmm. were, you know, they were, they were not under the age of 50. Um, And, and so I, I, I think that I, it's a lot to take in and it's a lot Mm -hmm. to understand. And I can appreciate really, and I can appreciate how when, when a, family member is diagnosed like this and and you're frightened and you're listening to this Mm -hmm. that you want to just really you just want to know I I just want to make sure my parent is going to survive I Mm -hmm. I want my parent as long as I can have them and so you know I'm I'm sure that that that's the overarching thing that um that we all think about and Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know cancers you 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 just can't talk to somebody that hasn't experienced Mm -hmm. cancer in their family True. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's really interesting to, to hear what you're saying. And I presume that you speak Spanish. Are you a fluent Spanish speaker? Or am I'm I wrong not about fluent. That? I um, do the best mm-hmm. I can, but I have some excellent people here that, um, that are able to explain mm-hmm. this in detail. I have lots of written materials in Spanish. Right. And, um, right. and I do basic office Spanish, but when it comes to long stories <laughs> around genetics, I do need assistance just to make sure I'm there not missing go. something. <laughs> Right, but that that that's good to know. I mean, you know, here's the other thing um, that I think is critical is that you need to establish a rapport with your physician, your NP, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. nurse, whomever that's going to be, mm-hmm. and if that person has the sympathetic, empathetic, whichever word, mm-hmm. that makes you just feel safe, mm-hmm. and and while I'm your patient right now. I feel like you are focused on me and what's going on in my mind. And, yes, I'm going to go to that group setting, but I know mm-hmm. that I can reach out to my other friends that are going through this or I've talked to my neighbor or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that the isolation for the patient but also for the for the, the family, it's, it's so much affects the entire family. And, of yes. course, there is so much because people are finding out about this. The awareness level, like I said, I didn't even know about the awareness level back when my mother was ill. All I knew is she had her breast removed. We went to some place where she could get a prosthetic breast that she put inside her bra so she could make her, her breast look uh, even. Mm-hmm. And that's about what I knew. And she mm-hmm. had chemotherapy, and yes, it made her ill. And mm-hmm. then she seemed to get better, and she was better for a while until mm-hmm. it it came back. Mm-hmm. And then she really didn't feel well because it, by that point, then it had in her is is metastasized and metastatic. Is that the same thing? It is. is that, so that just simply okay, means right. that if the cancer starts in the breast tissue, in the milk ducts and ligaments, once that's those same cancer cells are found at a distant part of the body then that would be metastatic cancer. In other words, uh, once they're stage four or metastatic disease, then they will be dealing with this for the rest of their life, 
We're not talking about cure anymore. We're talking about giving them the best quality of life for as long as possible. But mm-hmm. once the same cancer cells are found in the lungs or the brain or the bones or the liver, for instance, mm-hmm. that started mm-hmm. in the breast tissue, um, then our treatments are somewhat more limited and um, and we, we have to talk a different language then. Uh, we're, not, we're no longer talking about cure at that stage. Let me ask you this curiosity then. If you are a stage four, that means automatically it's metastasized. If you're a stage three mm-hmm. or a stage two, mm-hmm. does that mean it hasn't metastasized? What What's the difference? Maybe yeah, you that's correct. The so the staging of, of breast cancer is dependent on the size of the tumor involved. Is it one centimeter when we start treatment? Is it two centimeters or three centimeters when we start treatment? The staging is also dependent on the evaluation of the lymph nodes or glands in the axillary armpit. That 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 feeds into the staging. So if I have a one centimeter lump and then it's invasive cancer, I would sample the lymph nodes um, on the day of surgery to find out if there's any signs of the same cancer cells that started inside the milk duct. Now have they progressed to the axillary armpit? And if so, how many lymph nodes are involved? So that's all part of the staging. And then a lot and then these days a lot of other um genetic testing such as the estrogen progesterone status of that tumor, the HER2 new proteins on that tumor. We have lots of sophisticated testing that can give the doctor a lot more information about that tumor so that the doctor gives them the correct treatment. Um, so a stage one, two, or three um, is, is still usually um, very treatable. A stage four, once the same cancer cells are found distant someplace else, then we still have lots of good treatments but it is, but the options are more limited, and we're not treating, Got talking it. about cure at that point. We're talking about keeping the cancer pushed down, with um, allowing the patient to have as optimal quality of life for as long as possible. So, if somebody is listening today, and I, I know I keep interjecting my own family, but I'm sure that there are people that are listening that maybe are doing the same thing. What would you advise? Um, someone that's listening today that's had a, a, a family member, a mother, a grandmother, whatever, well, mm-hmm. how do you advise people that haven't been diagnosed with, with cancer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, know as much as you can about the, the, the family member's disease. Again, that is not always possible to do that. Um, if your family member, uh, I mean, if your family member was under the age of 50 when they were diagnosed, then they can still come back and be tested for genetic testing, for instance. Um, the, the family members involved should definitely educate themselves about what's normal, what's not normal going on in their breast tissue. They should, as women in general, we really need to pay attention when something is new or different or changing in the breast tissue, um, as well as routine screenings. So the benefit and the value of screening mammograms starting at age 40 is that sometimes I can find these little markers called cal- often called calcifications that only show up on the mammogram. It's long before I would even feel a lump, but if I do not uh, but if the mammogram does not identify those markers, 
then um, then it's just a matter of time. If it is cancer growing, it's just a matter of time until those little calcifications, sometimes the size of a grain of rice, if it's cancer, then will continue to grow and multiply. And then eventually the lump would show up uh, on the mammogram or, on, or you'd be able to feel it uh, in the breast tissue. But um, the value of mammograms is to catch it as early as possible. I had a recent 39-year-old that, that came in thinking she had a, a lump on the opposite breast, turned out to be nothing but a, a cyst. And so it was benign. There was nothing to do. However, the doctor went ahead and, and, and recommended a, a diagnostic mammogram. And the mammogram found all these suspicious calcifications in the opposite breast. So that's what you call incidental finding. We cleared wow. what she presented with, but yet the mammogram hmm. found something very suspicious on the opposite breast. We were able to do a biopsy, and now it's a stage zero ductal carcinoma in situ, stage zero breast cancer. She did have a family history, um, but again, she was young. She didn't think this would apply to her. And um, we have genetic testing pending. I do not know the genetic testing results yet in her case. But an mm -hmm. example of uh, coming in for routine screening mammogram, finding this high-risk cancer at stage zero. And at stage zero, it's no place else in your body. It's only in the breast tissue you know, very easy to treat. And the outcomes, we're talking of treating for cure. The outcomes should be very different. What age do you recommend that women get their first mammogram? And how often should women have mammograms? Good question. There's different um, credentialing bodies that sometimes have different guidelines. Clearly, um, pretty much everyone agrees that we should start routine screenings at age 40. But that's too late to know for most women to know what's new and different and changing in your breast. The minute there's something different, or wait a minute, I, this wasn't here before, or um, what is this uh, redness and extra pain in my breast that, that seems to be new and persistent and does not resolve with, with, with my menstrual cycle or with hormone, normal hormone changes that are going on in my body, it needs to be checked out. It needs medical evaluation. So, um, the anything new or different or changing that was not there before needs medical evaluation and then um, routine screening mammograms screening by definition means there's no symptoms we're just looking for early signs of disease that's uh, pretty much accepted should start at least by age 40. if there's a lump or a problem of concern then it's not a screening mammogram it has to be a different kind of mammogram called a diagnostic mammogram that focuses in on that area of concern and then um, many times ultrasound gives additional information as well that a mammogram does not provide. So your doctor would have to provide guidance on what test is the best for you. Certainly over the age of 40, um, everyone needs a screening mammogram at least every one to two years after that. And again, that's a discussion with your medical provider. If, if your risk level is low, there's even scales these days that help evaluate um, your risk of breast cancer. And if, uh, if your risk is normal and your risk is low, every two years is probably going to be fine um, versus every, every one year is also acceptable. The public health program and most insurance companies will pay for mammograms annually once every year. Um, 
I cannot overemphasize the, the need to, as much as possible, always go to the same location for your mammogram. Because um, if the physician, if the radiology doctor on the other end of these mammograms only has one glimpse in time to look at, only has one snapshot of today's mammogram pictures, then I have to make a decision and dictate a report based on the one snapshot only. But if, I, if, but if that same doctor takes new pictures today with my new mammogram and is able to compare because previous mammograms two years, three years ago are available to that same doctor and they can look at those same, the continuum of photos over time, the doctor might be able to pick up something different. So if they were only looking at one, one mammogram at, at, today, at, at, at one moment in time, they might read it as normal, negative. But if they're able to compare with three years ago, then the doctor's able to say, wait a minute, these calcifications are new. They were not here three years ago. Wait a minute, this density or thickness that we called normal three years ago seems to be um, different and more defined. And, uh, and, and, and this could be a cancer here. Now, now I'm going to recommend a needle biopsy of that same area. So having all exactly. your films in one place or having two or three years consecutive of consecutive films available for that doctor to read just allows a much more comprehensive report. And, of course, the benefit to the patient is the doctor can be more aggressive in ordering follow-up tests and be able to find something uh, as, as soon as it starts to develop. That's excellent information. And and perhaps, you know, wherever someone is living, if they've moved or something like that, typically mm-hmm. you can get films or reports or things like that. I know where I was going. They they, mm-hmm. they closed. And yes. so I made sure that all of my my reports followed me. But I want Very to good. Ask and if your insurance, that's, that's an important piece of it. Yeah. If your insurance switches you to a different radiology service that contracts with your new insurance plan, then you do always have the right to go back to the previous uh, mammogram provider and request um, um, uh, the actual films to be downloaded. Everything is pretty much digital these days. They can download mm-hmm. the films from the computer into a disk, and you can carry in the disk the actual photos with the reports uh, into the new mammogram provider so that the next doctor that you see has a much more comprehensive picture to work with, yes. I can see where that would make sense. What have you found? Do you want to grab some water real quick? I'll just keep talking. I'm good. I'm um, good, but go ahead. Okay, good. All right. So what, what I was wondering about, do you believe, has research shown that diet plays any part in breast cancer? Mm-hmm. Good question, and I get a lot of those questions. Um, yes. Certainly living as healthy lifestyle as possible um, um, reduces your risk of all kinds of cancers. I mean, maintaining a healthy mm-hmm. weight, for instance, um, reduces your risk of cancer. But the science is not as refined yet to say that this food does or does not cause cancer. Um, so I say that with, with caution. Um, there are some things like turmeric, for instance, that seem to reduce a woman's risk. So, you know, keep a, keep a little bottle of turmeric at, in your kitchen, and when you're cooking rice or meat, just put some in there. I mean, please, something healthy that's not going to hurt you. But the science at the same time is not yet to the point of being able to say this is a causative factor or not for breast cancer. Um, 
I wish we were there. I don't think the science yeah. is, is yet able to tell us that. And and the complexity of the cancer is that is that you know, is it the smog that we're breathing? Is it the food? Is it the way our bodies manage stress? There's just so many factors mm-hmm. involved. Um I guess the amazing part to me, being on the clinical end of it, is 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 I'm t- always amazed when I see the most healthy-looking woman who is a normal weight, who runs five miles a day, who's even vegetarian and still gets breast cancer. So, so, uh, so that makes it difficult, you know. That makes it difficult in her case, you know. What happens? She does not have the risk factors. What caused the normal cells to change and become cancer cells? So the right. genetic component, you know, helps answer some of those questions for that 10% of women who carry the gene. But for the other women, I have no answer. And um, I continually yeah. have to explain to people that I have no answer. This is nothing you did wrong. It's nothing that, no, mm-hmm. no fault of your own. And we're sure. still looking for what starts that process to happening. The best message is, you know, once it starts, um, the earlier we catch it through screening and, and routine health care the earlier, the better the outcomes and, and the easier it is to treat. Absolutely. Well, you know, and you just threw in the turmeric and how hard is that to throw in rice? So, I mean, you know, that, that you, you use salt and pepper and garlic. Use a little right, tea. right. So, you know, again, it's, again, but, but you're right. I can't give you a 100% guarantee that cooking with turmeric is going to decrease your risk of breast cancer, but the science seems to show that as a positive factor, you know. So so every we're all Perfect. looking for, you so know, what not? else can we do better? Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly, exactly. I presume and I think you touched on this just earlier and I know we're oh all of a sudden we're just going to be out of time. Um men do get breast cancer, right? I mean men should be mm-hmm. observant of their bodies as well. Maybe absolutely, one absolutely. Thousand, Again, even with a man, the breast cancer is going to manifest itself as like a hard marble or a hard stone underneath the skin in the breast tissue that was not there before. And usually it's um, it, maybe if, if a man is paying attention to his body, um, it, it should be easier to treat because there's less, usual, in general, less breast tissue um, to sort through. But if you're not looking for right. something like that or not aware the same uh, marble or stone in the breast, it could be a tumor or it could be a cancer, would be the same, would feel the same as, as a testicular mass um, or a lump in the testicular area, for instance. So a cancer is nothing more mm-hmm. than abnormal multiplication of cells. For whatever reason, the process starts and the cells start to change and grow too rapidly and create these little tumors in whatever part of the body they start. So sure. paying attention to things that are new or different and being aware of those and seeking medical care is, is really critical. I can see that. And and uh, could awareness be a better term that goes after cancer? I mean, really, isn't that really what we are talking about is we are talking about awareness. The more Absolutely. aware you are of whatever it is, mm-hmm. and that's why you – and and I I really appreciate even in all aspects of society, the men the the athletes that that maybe for whatever reason have a mom a grandma a wife a mm-hmm. sister that you mm-hmm. see I, I'm a big sports fan. There's mm-hmm. a whole time when when they all wear pink they mm-hmm. wear pink shoes or they wear pink socks or they wear mm-hmm. the pink bands just mm-hmm. as a reminder that just it's like oh you know you're right I I meant to make that appointment shoot, I'm, I'm going to make myself a note and I'm going to go do that tomorrow because that's just another visual reminder of, of why I should. 
I noticed on your website, and and I and I would I would like you to be able to let people know um, mm-hmm. if they want to get in touch with you. Um, mm-hmm. What would if they wanted to learn more about you? What would be the best way for them to reach you? Would it be through the website itself? Um. So you'd have to call in. Uh, you, uh, once you call in, you could email me or if you have a breast lump that you need a second opinion about or something like that to make an appointment to, to see us here in the Cecilia Gonzalez de La Jolla Cancer Center. Um, a lot, I do get a lot of referrals, actually, of questions into the White Memorial website. And if it's related to breast, the uh, people on the other end of those emails will often forward it to me and we can communicate that way. So that's a good option okay. as well. Um, once you what do have insurance... Thing? Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say you mentioned a phone number. Is there an actual phone number that you would want people to call, or do you want them to go to the website and find I can give you, you a phone way. number um, for additional information. Yeah. Sure. So the um, direct line would be three two three 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 zero seven three zero seven eight five two three eight five two three. And that okay. comes into the Cecilia Gonzalez de La Jolla Cancer Center. And um, okay. if you need a second opinion or have a concern, you can uh, talk to Maria. We'll usually be on the other end of that line. If um, you get a voicemail, please be patient and leave a message. And she's very good at getting back with okay. you and seeing how we can assist. The um, HMO plans are somewhat challenging these days just to call to your attention. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do have one of the HMO um, covered California plans, for instance, you pretty much have to start with your primary care doctor, and, and, and they have to navigate and refer you. It's not always easy to come directly to us in those situations, but we can always give advice on the phone and give guidance and, and navigation support really? how to utilize your plan if it, if it comes down to that, yes. Oh, I think that's so wonderful. I, I'm I'm really glad you said that. And I also just wanted people to know that, that you do have a website, and I will make sure that it goes in my blog. But if mm-hmm. people want to volunteer, there are mm-hmm. volunteer opportunities too. And I could really see, I mean, that's just like I'm clutching myself right now. I could really mm-hmm. see where somebody has said, you've done so much for me, or you've done so much for my mm-hmm. mom, my aunt, my grandma. Mm-hmm. I want to do what I can do to help. And, and that's that's that, and I will make sure that that is available for people to read, um, so that they, if they choose to want to uh, reach out, that they certainly can. Mm-hmm. I I think in the in the last couple of moments, and I know we didn't get to all of our questions, and 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 that's okay because everything that you said has so much value. Is there one thing that you want people to say? If you think of nothing else, um, here's what I want you to know as we before we say goodbye to one another. <laughs> You're so kind, and I really appreciate the forum to share with people. But um, take the time to to pay attention to what's happening with your body. It's your body. It's you're you're the best advocate for that than anyone else. And um, medical science has come a long way, but again, getting to navigating the system it can sometimes be very challenging. So. Um, you know, follow up, do regular visits with your with your primary providers, have discussions and conversations, and um, and 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 do the best you can to to live healthy, fulfilling lives, so that you're there for your children and your grandchildren, and um, and have the best quality of life as possible. So, breast cancer, 
these days is just a bump in the road. Most people survive it. It's very treatable in most cases. Of course, the earlier we find it and begin treatment, the better the outcomes. So that's the goal as well. So be healthy and, and, um, and be blessed. Your families need you as women. So stand right. up and be strong and, and be there for your family. I would say that the other thing that I think about as you're speaking is if you live a life in fear, you're not living your best life. Mm-hmm. I like and that. And if you want to, don't you like that? And mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to live your best life, then be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. Don't expect the doctor to call you. Yeah, Say, so true. How would, how, would, how, would I want, how would I want my mom to take care of herself? Mom. Mom, did you do this? Mom, did you do that? Well, how mm-hmm. about turning those tables and saying, Marsha, have you done that? Have mm-hmm. you done that? To your daughter, hello, mm-hmm. you're 42 years old. Have you had, a, have you had a, 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 just a mammogram just to get started here? Absolutely. It's time for a basic physician. screening. It's time to have the peace of mind that everything is good and uh, encourage each other and, and advocate for each other and share the message with the people in your life, um, and even do it together. Let's all make our appointments and go make a party out of this, if 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 You're when right. possible. <laughs> you know that that's really and and you know because of the awareness of this month. But I think it's also one thing we should talk about, and that is before we say goodbye. October is not the only month of the year that you should be paying attention to your breath. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are very hyper aware, but that doesn't mean that in March or June or August it's like, oh well, I, you know, it's, 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 what is it the the condition of the month? I don't have to rely on my breast. Of course you do. Right. You have to be ever present of noticing the changes, like you said, by by doing your own breast examines. Mm-hmm. But like you know, we didn't even talk about that. But I know that that you need to know what your breast feels like, and if something doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. You need to be mindful of that. Maybe you ignore it for a month, but don't ignore it for much longer than that. If it hasn't mm-hmm. changed and something's different, then mm-hmm. you need to see a doctor, mm-hmm. whether it's going to to um, White Memorial mm-hmm. or it's going to wherever you live in your city. Don't mm-hmm. don't hesitate to t- to do the best you can for your own health, wouldn't you say? So true, so true. It's you in collaboration with your physician. And finding a physician that you can trust, that you feel good about, that you can work in collaboration with is such an important part of of longevity and good health. Mm-hmm. Well, and with that, with that in mind, uh, I wish you good health. Uh, the same for everyone that's listening. I hope that this show has been inspiring and, and, and motivates you that are listening, whether you're a man or a woman, to... Mm-hmm to support that woman in your life, whether that woman starts with you or someone else. And, and, and just share the information, which I think is vital. And I, I know you lead a very busy practice, Eva, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really happy that um, you were able to join me today. And I'm, I'm going to be posting pr- previous shows. I did a show with a woman named Tamara Hunter. She mm-hmm. has a nonprofit called Chemo Buddies for life with the letter mm. four, the number four, where she reaches out with people to, to help them navigate. There are so many resources out there for people to find help. Don't do mm-hmm. it alone. Don't mm-hmm. be isolated. 
get the help and support that you need. If you have any questions, you've been very generous to share your phone number. I will make sure that that's posted and people can, can reach out to you as well. So just, just thank you so much for, for your knowledge and, and your kindness in this, in this month of October. Oh, thank you, Marcia, for all that you do to keep us all healthy and, and motivated in life and for providing an opportunity to share. Yes. Well, it's been terrific. And everybody out there, take care of yourself. And next week, I'll, I'm going to be talking with a woman. It's just amazing what I do. Her name is Georgine Irvine, and she worked for by about 30 years at the L.A. San Diego Zoo, and she writes children's books. So my my... My show each week is a variety of people, but what you all have in common is a passion and a story about your life, and that's why I enjoy doing this every week. So until next time, everybody, have a great week, and bye for now.